HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. This is Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro, and today I'm going to be speaking with an author who covers one of my favorite subjects, and that is amazing things from my home state of Ohio. I am joined today by Renee Castile-Cook. She is the author of Ohio Ice Cream and Ohio Buckeye Candy, as well as a number of other books, uh, most of which have to do with food. Some of them don't, but we are going to have a tasty conversation. Renee, thank you for joining the program. Hey, Capri. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you have written quite a bit about food in Ohio, um, but you're not from here, right? I'm not. I'm actually a Buckeye by choice, not by birth. Um, I'm a Love Chicago it. native. Yes, originally. So what brought you to the Buckeye State? Sure. Well, originally, um, I came to attend college at Ohio University, where I met my then boyfriend, now husband, um, and wasn't a very hard sell to get him as well as almost 20 of our good friends uh, between various Ohio colleges to move back to Chicago post-graduation. So we spent about a decade there afterwards. And then, um, you know, for some family reasons and some professional reasons alike, decided to relocate back to his hometown of Columbus in 2014. Mm-hmm. So have you always been a writer or is this something that, you know, you kind of came by in a more circuitous way? Definitely the latter. Um, I would say that, you know, writing was an interest of mine and sort of maybe a, an outlet as a child, but I certainly was not doing that professionally before the relocation. Um, I was actually on the account management side in a related mm-hmm. business in advertising. Um, and so I worked on a variety of food and beverage clients. And I think, you know, much of that was serendipitous in the sense that opportunities arose allowing me to work on those brands. But also, I just have an interest in that category. And my husband actually sells wine. So the two tend to go well together. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, upon relocating to Columbus, 
the food scene really stood out to both of us because it had changed so much, certainly since he was a child. Um, and yep. having been gone, you know, 10 plus years at that point, almost 15 with the college years in there. Sure. No, it's a, it's definitely one of the, uh, you know, fastest growing cities, if not the fastest growing city in Ohio. And as such between, you know, uh, population growth and, uh, large corporate headquarters. And of course, Ohio state university, it really has become, you know, a, a cultural Mecca as well for, for the state of Ohio. Certainly. I found it very interesting in my um, advertising days that a number of food and beverage clients and competitors would have test markets in Columbus. Yes, and so you know, I knew true. the city based on that. And certainly there are some major QSR, quick service restaurant, um, fast food type brands that are headquartered here in Columbus. And so you know, I knew enough, <laughs> I knew enough to be dangerous, but the diversity of the cuisine was really what um, took me by surprise. And yep. as you mentioned, you know, the diversity of the population, which you might not expect from, you know, location in central Ohio, frankly, um, but in Chicago at the time, at least, and this has changed and loosened up significantly in the last decade. Uh, the regulations around mobile food were really tight. And a lot of that yeah. was controlled by bar and restaurant owners indicating that they didn't want mobile food operations within a hundred feet of their establishment. As you know, in Chicago, good luck finding a hundred feet that doesn't have a bar or a restaurant. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then the other hindrance was that you weren't actually allowed to cook on a truck at the time. And so we ended up with about 400 cupcake trucks, but no actual food. Um, Interesting. Yes, lots of lots of desserts. And so uh, when coming to Columbus, you know, the city, speaking of 400 trucks, had gone from about 40 to 400 trucks in four years. So the period between 2010 and 2014 just saw um, this surge in the mobile food scene. And having visited Austin, Texas, right before our move to Columbus and comparing the two cities, you know, again, being major college towns, um, kind of similar in terms of diversity of population and whatnot, the food truck scene in Austin has long been sort of a mecca. Um, they have the, the benefit of year round. And so they can right. have, you know, pods for their food trucks. People can actually go and find the truck that they're looking for, as opposed to the, the, a little bit of a hunter gatherer mentality. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, food scene, the mobile food scene here really got savvy. And there was an app developed around that same time called Street Food Finder yep, that would yep. allow you to go in and actually say, I want to find this truck. Or if you didn't know the truck's name, you could say, I want this type of cuisine today, or I'm in this area. And I think that really helped. And then um, that was also around the same time that the food truck festival was created and it has grown just astronomically in that time I, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I can, can personally vouch for that as someone who was uh, living in the Columbus area between 2007 and, and 2016. So I saw a lot of this firsthand, you know, these, these changes and then the proliferation of the food trucks. And, you know, we're talking food trucks because we, you know, eventually we're going to get to the fact that you did a whole book about food trucks, but you started to write about the food scene for some of the local publications first, right? Exactly. So um, kind of taking a sidestep, if you will, from my advertising career, I began supporting uh, Columbus Monthly and their publication, Columbus Crave Magazine, which at the time was a food-focused quarterly. It's since been rolled back into the main magazine. And so there's like a dining section monthly. You get about the same amount of pages. You know, it just depends on how you want to look at that um, from a publishing perspective. But at the time, there was a separate publication. And so I started writing for the special advertising section. And that made a lot of sense with my background 
background, but it also allowed me to explore the city's food scene and interview chefs and restaurant owners. Um, and at one point even have a little featured recipe kind of recipe slash product column. That was really fun. Yeah. Uh, So, so how did you jump from that to your first book, uh, which had to do with the food trucks there in Columbus? Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, we had been visiting Austin, Texas, and it was my first time there, actually. I've I've since been a bunch of times because it is such a great town. And my husband and I stopped collecting tchotchkes a long time ago. We've had the great fortune of traveling quite a bit for both personal and professional reasons. And we said, oh, gosh, if we keep collecting things on trips, you know, we have nowhere to put them. So we started collecting cookbooks. Um, And for us, it was a way I just married into my last name. So I write about food. But, you know, being a cook now, my husband is actually (laughs) the chef in our house. And I I do a fair bit of baking, but we'll leave all the actual cooking to him. Um, And so we decided to collect cookbooks so that we could recreate our trips at home. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, I I love it too, because again, I don't do the cooking. He does the recreating and I do the (laughs) eating and tell him how close he got. Uh, (laughs) So we were in Austin and we're in a kitchen store and we're looking at cookbooks and I find this series called Trailer Food Diaries. And it's not just a one-off cookbook. There were actually at least three at the time about Austin. And then I noticed a few others, one about Houston, one about Dallas. And then there were two about Portland, Oregon, which is another food truck kind of mecca. Yeah. And so, you know, the brand marketer light bulb in my head went off and I said, this isn't just a book, it's a series. And I would love to connect with this author to see if she knows anything about kind of what has happened in Columbus in the last couple of years. And if she has interest in profiling our city, because in my mind, you know, it stood up just as well to these other markets. I have been to Portland before and been very impressed, obviously, with just the scale of uh, what used to be kind of their main food truck um, area. And so I did, I cold reached out to her. Um, and you know, the stars aligned as, as Tiffany Herlick and I now say, because she is also very into astrology and, and all the metaphysical realms. And we didn't know for a full 18 months that we actually share a birthday. So no we way. Are, yeah, we're birthday buddies. We're Scorpios. Uh, they're on November 7th, um, just about uh-huh. two years apart. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was really just kind of one of those things that I think you put out into the universe and, uh, if it's meant to be, it comes back to you. And, and so it did. And she took a chance on me not having been really, a, you know, an author before having had this little bit of writing experience for the magazine. Um, and she pitched it to her publisher which at the time had said, we would love to continue your series, but we really want our authors to have in-market presence. That's something mm-hmm. that the History Press and Arcadia and our imprint, which is American Palette, feel very strongly about. And she said, well, I think this is a way that we can do, essentially you know, do both. We can have this series continue, but we can have Renee have the in-market presence. And they, they all took a chance on me. And I had the great fortune of learning from a pro um, and learning the publishing world from Tiffany. That's great. So tell me a little bit about this food truck cookbook that you ended up uh, coming out with in 2016. Yeah, so the series of uh, the series title is actually Trailer Food Diaries, and so we changed that for the Columbus market because trailer food has a bit of a different connotation in the Midwest. Um, and so the tagline, though, is serving up the American dream one plate at a time, and that Love really it. spoke to me. Yeah, in the sense of featuring these entrepreneurs and these small businesses that are getting you know their start by getting out on the road and the challenges that they face. We have an entire section in the back of the book that is tips if you want to open your own food truck, and That's I. Great. I would say at least 50% of them are either be a mechanic or know a really good one. 
Um, you know, because you think about it, like they're taking their operation out on wheels every single day and everything that could possibly go wrong does, but they are such a tight knit community. And it was fascinating to really become a part of that in sort of of a peripheral way, but really they invited me right in, you know? I I was just going to ask, I mean, what kind of research did you do to be able to write this book? (laughs) Well, I'm sure that was very difficult, but I mean, did you you know, go out and I, how did you identify I me? Mean, did you just use that app or did you, you know, uh, research different parts of town? Uh, did you want to have specific types of cuisine that you, that you focused on? How did you really go about tackling something like this and then incorporating recipes into it? Because it's also a cookbook. Exactly. So, um, you know, at that point I was, um, I had my hooks in a little bit to the food scene. I knew enough folks from interviewing chefs and whatnot. And so I had the connections. I certainly did crowdsource though from our Columbus network and even a little bit on social media to say, give me your favorite food trucks. Let me reach out to them and see, you know, if they're interested in participating, frankly. Um, and to be quite frank, not everybody was, there was uh, one truck in, in particular who really did want to participate, but the way that their menu was set up, there wasn't a recipe they could necessarily um, give us, right? And so we unfortunately weren't able to include them. But I would say on the whole, you know, the everyone raised their hands and said, Oh, my God, that's so cool. We'd love to do that. And yes, of course, you know, we can provide recipes. So each truck provided one to three recipes. Uh, We did make sure that we were certainly um, demonstrating the breadth of the cuisine types here in Columbus, but also we wanted to cover day parts. And so the way all of Tiffany's books were set up, you know, was that there were breakfast items. There were sort of a handheld type of sandwiches, tacos, that kind of category. Um, And then there are some more ambitious, what I would call dinner type, uh, you know, (laughs) multi-day project uh, recipes in there too, because we know that, you know, some people, my husband, for example, every once in a while likes to take on a project like that. Some people don't. They want to, you know, just uh, go to the truck and have the food there, but they actually used it, started using the book, which I never even thought would happen, but absolutely loved when I started hearing it from multiple people. They used it as like a tour guide to go around town and mark off the ones that they had tried and take notes on which recipes they had sampled from the truck and what other things maybe, you know, weren't in the book that they had had that they enjoyed. And then they even started having some of the food truck chefs sign the book if there wasn't a giant wow. line behind them. So I just thought that was so cool in such a fun way. I actually stole the idea and started having all of the places where I've done events sign my copies of whatever book I'm there to talk about that day. Um, so How I totally fun. got, I, I crowdsourced that idea too. Um, but yeah, you know, so Columbus had this plethora of trucks. We certainly couldn't incorporate quite everybody, but the um, great fortune was that we did a second book, a follow-up, if you will, and we brought Columbus back into the Trailer Food Diary series under Tiffany's separate publishing company. So she took on the lead publishing role and I took on the lead author role in the best of Trailer Food Diaries. And that book has all of those markets I mentioned before. So the three Texas markets, Portland, and then Columbus. And we revisited a number of trucks that were favorites, but they all gave us new recipes. Um, And then we were able to even incorporate a few folks that either weren't on the scene at the time or weren't able to participate for whatever reason, but we're now able to. So you've got, you know, a good mix of new trucks, old favorites, um, but all new recipes in both of those titles. That's great. We're going to have to, to, keep an eye out for that one as well. So give me some examples of the type of food truck cuisine that you featured uh, from Columbus, just to give listeners a, a sense of the diversity of what's available there. 
Certainly. So um, one of my favorite trucks still, and they're not on the road anymore, but I absolutely love that we captured them in both books they participated in, both um, the Columbus Food Truck Cookbook and then the Best of Trailer Food Diaries. And the truck was called Hala, and it was essentially a modernized Jewish delicatessen. Uh, Their chicken salad recipe will change your mind about putting just handfuls of herbs into your chicken salad. Every time someone reads it, it, they question like, are you sure it's that much dill? And I'm like, it is 100% that much (laughs) dill. And um, Chef Katie Rondazzo would come out to events with me, became a really great friend. Um, She's actually birthday twins with my oldest daughter. So that was pretty funny too. But you know, she would come and sample that chicken salad at events. And she's got a couple of other recipes that she contributed. She went on to open a fine dining concept here in Columbus. um, And then she has since relocated to California. So we still love her, but of course we, we don't have her quite here anymore. But one success story that um, has just grown tremendously since their inclusion in the Columbus Food Truck Cookbook is Ray Ray's. Um, both of these are featured on the cover, which is why I'm telling you about them. Uh, but Jamie Anderson started a barbecue truck and oh, it wow. was behind an, a music venue. And so, of course, you know, you got to have the best of both worlds there. It felt very Austin-like, if you will. Um, you've got your music, you've got your barbecue. So they went from a one truck, you know, one or two smoker operation to three brick and mortar restaurants, a standing location at two breweries in town. And for the listeners that may not know Columbus and really, you know, all of central Ohio has just also blown up in the number of craft breweries that we have. Oh yes. And so that's been another lovely partnership. You know, what, what better, if you can't have music and barbecue, then you you want beer and barbecue, right? And if you can have all three, why not? Um, So that was another one that he participated in both titles as well. And then, yeah, you know, you've got really quite a, um, smattering of different cuisines. We've got gyros included from two different um, producers. We've got Pitabilities and then Buckeye Donuts, actually. So oh, you wow. think of a donut shop, but they do, they do. They have a Greek background. They have Greek ownership and have for decades there on campus. And so they provided us with their gyro recipe. Um, and then, you know, you've got uh, even some desserts. So we've got a plantain and coconut upside down cake. Ooh. And that is a fun recipe from a truck um, that was well-loved at the time called the Explorers Club. They actually moved into a brewery after that as well. Um, and then another truck that's still on the scene is called Ajumama. And they do a – it's called Duck and Cheese, but it's a, like a version of mac and cheese with a Korean rice noodle. I promise oh, wow. it will change the way you look at mac and cheese. That's – I mean – uh, I want to get on the road and start driving to Columbus right now. Yes, please. <laughs> she still is at uh, my local in Clintonville farmer's market every once in a while. So I get to say hi to Miss Laura Lee. And I was going to say, it's see her. Really, I think I went to grade school with her. So. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. What a small, small I was, world. I, was, I love that so much. I was going to ask you about this off air, but you know what? It came up. Yes, I I uh, I went to I went to grade school with Laura Lee. So that's I she is a rock star down there. And uh that is just too much. I knew well, now it. you I have to make her mac and cheese. <laughs> I I certainly will. That is fantastic. Well, I mean, you have the the food truck world covered, but then you embarked upon a couple other big endeavors, including sweets, ice cream, 
and the notorious Ohio Buckeye. So which one do you want to take first? Yeah. So, well, if we go in chronological order, uh, there was a small gap in between where I did a children's book for my kids. Um, It's called Meet Maddie. We don't have to dive into that one, but it's mostly about a monkey and her fashion sense. Um, And so, you know, that was to me. That was just a fun kind of interlude, if you will. And then we moved into the dessert category. Not to say that we didn't have some desserts covered in those first two food truck books, but went all in on my sweet side. And, you know, I have been an ice cream lover from the depths of Chicago winters. My mom will tell you, and I'm not sure about the accuracy of her story because I was in preschool, but she claims we went every single day after school and she let me hit the hard stuff right away. There was no vanilla for me. I went straight to the chocolate. Uh, Perhaps that's why we went in the dead of winter because it wouldn't melt all over the place. But, uh, you know, I've been a long time. You meant business. You meant business. A hundred percent. And so when Arcadia and my publisher, uh, my my representative at the publisher came back to me and said, you know, we've got this ice cream book that we're thinking about doing. Um, Actually, what happened was that they had an author on the topic and she had kind of uh, put an outline together. She hadn't started writing yet, but she was Ohio based. I forget exactly which area. And funny enough, she was moving to Chicago. And so she, they were like, okay, well, you know, if you're going to move, you won't have the in-market presence to um, promote the book when it comes out. So if you don't want to continue it, we understand. And she said, yeah, you know, but you guys are welcome to still make the book. If you find an author, they're welcome to use my outline as a basis if they want, throw it out if they want, whatever they want to do with it. So incredibly generous. Um, So it was almost like she and I just switched places, right? Um, Being that I'm from Chicago. And so I looked at the outline and it was a great lead into the history of why Ohio is such a prolific ice cream state. And it's really because we were such a prolific dairy state for so long. We had over 2000 dairy farms at one point. Um, And obviously that just led itself really nicely into, okay, what else are we going to do with all this milk? We're going to make cheese. We're going to make ice cream. Um, And certainly uh, the timing around, you know, the the early 1900s and into really like the 1920s where you had refrigeration or freezing certainly, but you had novelties kind of coming about. There's a lot of firsts that are from Ohio. And so, you know, the ice cream cone, it owns its attributes to the Mensch's brothers in Ohio, certainly Harry Burt and the good humor operation out of Youngstown, which maybe was the first food truck. Right. And so everything came full circle for me because I'm like, okay, this guy's ice cream truck was actually the birth of mobile food and the fact that he was able to put freezers on it. And really for me as a marketer, you know, create a brand around that, that um, became so iconic and synonymous with the ice cream truck visiting your neighborhood um, every summer. We don't have as much of that anymore, but I will say that it's coming back in, in a way with the mobile food scene. We've got one truck featured that now has a brick and mortar as well, but it's called Little Ladies Soft Serve. Um, and, you know, it's, it's actually an old postal truck, but it's good humor-esque. It's like what good humor would do if they put two little girls on the side of their truck and made it super cute. Um, And so, you know, I love just profiling these businesses. We didn't get into recipes with the, with this one or with the Buckeye one, because that's a little more difficult. Um, But, you know, we really showed why all of these from mom and pop shops on the side of the road that are open, say seasonally, and and perhaps even closed this past weekend um, to the ones that have become multi-generational family businesses that are household names like graders um, or handles from also from the Youngstown area and certainly Jenny's, which is now, you know, nationwide, but started right here in Columbus. 
Well, and Handles actually has a franchise footprint all across the country now, too. But they do. They just opened one in Culver City, California. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Uh, yeah, so, you know, growing up in the Youngstown Warren area, uh, you know, I certainly grew up with good humor. They're painted on the side of the Mahoning Valley Historical Society building. We actually did uh, an episode for this program on that. And then, of course, Handles, uh, which is a point of pride here uh, and was nominated for by, you know, USA Today for years as one of the best ice creams in the country that was getting shipped to, you know, to celebrities and this sort of thing, but was founded in 1945 and uh, here in the Youngstown Warren area, Northeastern Ohio. So, uh, you know, I think we do, we we do take a lot of pride in our food here. Uh, And I thought it was really interesting that, you know, you took on that ice cream uh, story of Ohio because people don't necessarily uh, associate dairy with this state. But if you live here, you know that there's a lot of big, uh, big names when it comes to ice cream. Certainly. Yeah. And, you know, I think we still we, we're slowly shedding our uh, cow town moniker here in Columbus. But even I, 10 years ago, moving here, had to laugh that Ohio State University still keeps a farm of stocked with cows uh, oh, yeah. on, on Lane Avenue, which if you know that area, it's like the heart of Upper Arlington. I mean, that would be prime real estate. And there are cows. I take my children to see them. It's hilarious. Um, so, you know, I think we hang out a little bit to some of that heritage in a really positive way. Um, and, and there are so many wonderful stories of businesses like the Dairy Hut in Pataskala that was owned by the same family for four, 40 years, four decades. And they were getting ready to retire. And, you know, really, they didn't want to let go of the business, but they just, they needed to. And there was, there's this young couple, they have three little kids, they run a farm themselves as their day job. And they said, we can't let this go. And so two years ago, they passed the reins over. Um, and the new family has had it operational for the past two summers. They've done some modernization. They've even Mm -hmm. made the space a little bit bigger. I kid you not, this was like a 12 by 12 building that they put about six you know, high school or college kids working their yep. summer job in there. And it was a dance. They had it choreographed. Um, and so they made it just slightly bigger, but not big enough, maybe 15 by 15 now, not big enough to change the footprint, um, just to give them a little bit of elbow room. And they, they modernized the building just slightly, but it retained its character and certainly retained its coney sauce, which people line up for on closing day so they can stock their freezer with pints to get them through winter. Um, oh. You know, it's just these stories are the best. You've got Masons up in Ohio City 
city, the area of Cleveland. And what I love about their business model is they realized, okay, if we're going to go all in on ice cream, you know, there is some cyclical nature to it. Certainly when you live in Cleveland, Ohio. I was going to say, when you're, right. when you're a lakefront, it, so it's not pivot. that easy. No, exactly. You know, when that snow starts falling, it doesn't stop. And so they pivot their entire business somewhere around the end of October, November timeframe to ramen noodles. And they make just absolutely fantastic ramen all winter long. And now people have, you know, asked so many times that they keep a stock of pints for them to buy. Um, So there is some ice cream in the winter, but it used to be 100% ramen for like four or five months and then ice cream the rest of the time. And now in the summertime, it's all ice cream all the time, except they're also doing uh, a fantastic Korean hot dog that you can get as half a hot dog and half as like a mozzarella cheese stick. I just had oh. it in August. Yeah. And I was just blown away. You know, so you've got these, we have a lot of sidebars in the ice cream book because there are these fantastic stories. Ohio's also the birthplace down in Wilmington near Cincinnati of the banana split. Um, there is another market. I think it's in, um, I'm going to blank on if it's in Kansas that um that claims they own the banana split but no, there's all there's always some kind of a dispute right the controversies you know the controversies um around ice cream and even around the origin of the buckeye candy it's actually a great segue um, that is a great segue i before we get into buckeye candy though i gotta ask you did you go to all these different places um it, for the research to do your book So I certainly tried to cover as much ground as I could. Um, And I have the good fortune of, you know, having some extra little taste testers with me. Um, And so my almost, well, they just turned four last week. My almost four-year-old twins were almost three-year-olds last summer when we were promoting this. And they are happy to taste test everything. Uh, Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, right? They're like, mom has the best job right now. Uh, We actually got a a delivery. So if I couldn't get to a place, oftentimes they would ship me ice cream, which was just lovely. Um, That's amazing. But but Isley's, if you're familiar with Isley's, at one point had tons of locations. And their chip chop ham, which is a whole other story for a different day. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's another good topic. Um, So Isley's actually sent me a shipment and they they slightly overdid themselves. But of course, we were appreciative. It was like four gallons of ice cream and it came on trick or treat night. So here in Columbus, we don't always trick or we almost never trick or treat on Halloween. It's called beggars night. It's an odd little tradition. Um, I think it has something to do with avoiding both high school as well as, of course, Ohio State football. football. So if, you know, it falls on one of those days, we move we move our trick or treat. Needless to say, my kids had already gone out and gotten their ice cream. And then I bring this box in and, you know, in perfect timing, it is on dry ice because that's how you ship ice cream. So we open this box and it's like the witch's cauldron has opened on (laughs) Halloween night and they were completely mesmerized. The candy went by the wayside and they wanted to open every single gallon and try all the flavors. And Isley still does some really um, iconic to them flavors that you know you really can't find anywhere else there's one called maricopa and it's almost like this i don't want to call it butterscotch but it has those notes in it you really just have to kind of taste it and you can find them at groceries still um so they're you know at kroger and giant eagle and things like that which is really yeah um, i think they do they do uh white house ice cream which is basically just the cherry uh the vanilla cherry which what is one of my grandfather's favorites yeah isley's is a real, you know, nostalgic brand for a lot of people in in Ohio and in Western Pennsylvania. This is such a fun book, but now we got to talk Buckeyes because 
uh, you know, first for those of, for those listeners who are not from the Buckeye State, explain what a Buckeye is, um, literally as well as the candy. Sure. <laughs> well, slash, is it a candy? Right. Is it a candy? Is it a cookie? Is it a confection? You know, the world may never know. Um, it depends on who you ask around here. But the Buckeye itself is a useless, potentially poisonous nut that falls off a tree by the same name. There are actually multiple species of Buckeye tree. California has a Buckeye tree. Um, I think there's like two or three more, but the Ohio Buckeye tree, and I do not know its genius name. Um, I'm sure it's written down somewhere in the book, but I would not be able to pronounce it anyways. Uh, I actually have one in my backyard looking out at it right now. This is the time of year, of course, perfectly coincided to football season where they fall like crazy. And um, we have already begun our collection. So you, you get the, you know, the teeny tiny babies to the giant Buckeyes, but essentially what it is is, imagine a walnut that its shell cracks on its own when it falls off of the tree. And so, you know, most of the time it's, it's already out, but sometimes you have to peel that shell off a little bit. And when you open it up, it's got a dark brown exterior, except a circle sort of in the middle top that is like a light tan color. And so there was a woman, Gail Tabor Lucas. She is actually not from Ohio either, so we share that. But she was here because her husband was attending um, graduate school at Ohio State University. And she's from Oklahoma. And her mother sent her a Christmas uh, package with a um, peanut butter ball. Now, this was fully enrobed in chocolate. And so this is more like a truffle candy, if you will. And of course, you know, they were uh, delicious and they were something that Gail had grown up with. And she asked her mom for the recipe to recreate them for some more friends and family and some events they were going to. And as she is dipping the peanut butter ball in the melted chocolate, so that's what you do. You you take a peanut butter center, which is mostly peanut butter and a lot of powdered sugar, maybe a little bit of powdered sugar. Yeah. And then you roll that and then you dip it in melted chocolate. There's a debate as to whether or not folks add some um, confectioner's wax to that to make it shiny and make it set. My mother-in-law does. Some others don't. Um, And so you take a toothpick, you dip that in. Well, she dipped it in only three quarters of the way and she pulled it up and she said, doesn't this look like a Buckeye? And he said, yeah, it actually really does. And so that's the legend of how the Buckeye candy was born. She started taking them to tailgate parties. Tailgate parties. I remember you know, that Which they're, yeah. uh, you know, of course, they are a staple of at this point. Um, but And all the way through the holidays. So we see Buckeyes start falling from the tree. We know we need to start making them. And we take them to every party we can through the football season and then straight on through the holidays. Um, I did see a, uh, the website, The Kitchen, spelled without an E. I saw an article last year where they said that the Buckeye was Ohio's favorite Christmas cookie. Uh, so again, a little bit of a debate as to whether or not, you know, this is a candy or a cookie. I would probably put it a little bit more firmly into the candy, um, you know, area, but, or we can call it a confection. You can ask like the Buckeye lady when you talk to her, maybe Alicia will have a firmer stance, but I will say that, um, Fran DeWine, who I had the great opportunity to meet at Ohio Anna, she was looking who, for who is who is uh the first lady of Ohio yes currently you, and 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 actually and a uh you know is someone who does a lot in in regards to libraries so to put to put Fran DeWine in context for people not from Ohio yes perfect apologies for that um so she and I met at the Ohio on a book festival and she was telling me that she was looking for something to bring during the COVID-19 pandemic to a lot of the sites that they visited for the first responders 
And she wanted to bring Buckeyes, but she knew that they weren't, they don't always travel that well. And especially if it was hot out or something like that, they oh, can yeah. get a little melty. So she actually took the peanut butter center and baked it into a batch of brownies and took that. And, you know, in my mind, a brownie is also not quite a cookie, but I will take that one as our, you know, favorite, favorite state treat if we have to pick one. Absolutely. That sounds totally delicious. So, so what is covered in the Buckeye book? Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm assuming you give that kind of contextual folklore history of how the Buckeye, you know, was established, but, and you talk to individuals like the Buckeye lady who will have uh, at some point uh, on the program. Uh, but tell me what you did to put this book together. Yeah, so the format is very similar to Ohio ice cream. Um, so that is, um, you know, that we interviewed a little over 20 Buckeye producers from across the state. We wanted to make sure that we had those household names that have been producing Buckeyes since shortly thereafter, Miss Gail Lucas Tabor. Now that was 1960, early 1960s, 64. Um, The controversy around her recipe actually is that she kept it very close to the chest, didn't share it with anyone, but she and her husband were relocating when he graduated and a friend convinced her to share it. And she said, okay, I will, as long as you don't share it with anybody else. well, I'm not so sure how friendly this friend was because not only did she share it, she put it in the Ohio State Alumni Magazine under her own name. Yep. Gail didn't find out until about 20 years later. She comes back to Ohio State in the early 1980s and someone tells her that, yeah, it was run in the alumni magazine under this person's name. So at this time, she is a reporter for the Arizona Republic and she Ooh. runs her own article reclaiming the origin of the Buckeye Ball, uh, which is you know what she renamed it from the peanut butter ball and publishing her recipe. We actually have her recipe uh, published in the book. I've gotten some feedback that it can be a little bit heavy on the powdered sugar. And so you might want to play with your ratios a bit, but certainly you can find recipes uh, for the Buckeye, you know, candy in other places. This one isn't meant to be a recipe book or a cookbook. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither was ice cream. This one was really meant to feature those stories and talk a little bit about the nuance because you know, when I first embarked on this, my publisher and I were saying, is a Buckeye just a Buckeye, just a Buckeye? Well, it's really not. Um, And you would be shocked in some ways to find out that some people, you know, they change the chocolate coating. So there's um, a company called Bellbrook Chocolates. They're actually in Centerville now, but they kept their name when they moved over from Bellbrook. And um, the owner and her husband, she was a milk chocolate fan. He was a dark chocolate fan. And so she created this bespoke blend of chocolate that they use for all of their confections, including their Buckeye. So whereas at some producers, you can pick between a milk chocolate Buckeye or dark chocolate Buckeye at Bellbrook, you are getting their their Bellbrook chocolate. um, And that's really what they're known for. They actually also, um, another sort of quote unquote controversy is whether or not you fill the toothpick hole. Some people like to cover that up. You know, once you take the toothpick out, you kind of just either use the toothpick itself or finger if you're willing, depending on who you're serving it to or if you have gloves on, but to close that hole up. Um, my mother-in-law sides on the on that area of presentation, but at Bellbrook, they want you to know that they're homemade, and especially because they are coming from a business. So they actually leave the toothpick hole, and, and they're featured on oh, the cover of this book, and you can kind of see you know that approach. Um, but you've got some more, again, modern makers, right? And so we saw that theme in the ice cream book on sort of new takes on, on an old staple and newer takes on 
the Buckeye are actually, as we mentioned, from the Buckeye Lady. And she does something called the Stuffed Buckeye. She was the original. There are a couple of others in the book that feature a similar product they call maybe a Bursting Buckeye. But the concept essentially is that um, they take, so for the Buckeye Lady, her first was M&Ms. And you'll find a couple of M&Ms inside and then an M&M on top so that you know what you're getting into. Um, But she does everything. She has over 80 varieties at this point. Uh, The one on the cover is her red velvet, because it obviously goes very well with the scarlet and gray motif that we selected. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, even at the holidays, one of my favorites of hers is peppermint bark. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's got, you know, the peppermint in there. She did Christmas in July recently, so that one's top of mind because I got to have it in the summer, which was a fun treat. She also did a dreamsicle, like an orange creamsicle this summer, um, and her fall flavors are just out and she's doing a pumpkin of course and an apple cider I believe and a variety of other really fun things maybe a maple um so you know on on face value you're thinking does it still taste like a buckeye and it really does they're they're very complimentary um I will say she has done a savory one before the everything spice everything bagel spice uh who hasn't you know done a riff on that at this point even Jenny's made a a very polarizing version of of that ice cream um but I did have the chance to taste that and it works you know there's something kind of different and fun about it um you get the little crunch of of the seeds but this the sweet and the savory play really nicely together that is definitely not what I would expect from a from a Buckeye. But as you said, I mean, it's really interesting to see how people are taking, you know, new approaches to something that has become a classic over the decades. So what's next on the horizon for you? Do you have any more food books up your sleeve? You know, I always am solicited, of course, uh, with what people want to see next. And so I've gotten donuts recently. Um, I've gotten macaroons, actually. I'm not sure we have like a, a thin red line that really ties either of those directly to Ohio. Now, we certainly have plenty of uh, donut producers, you know, both oh, yes. the old and the new. Um, and I would I would love to explore that just as a, a personal I would like to eat all the donuts. Um, macaroons is, is funny to me because the last time I was visiting home in Chicago, it seemed like there was a new macaroon vendor on every single corner. They're actually my older daughter's favorite cookie. Um, and so, you know, that could be a fun one as well. I'm really not sure yet. We're going to kind of see where things take us. Maybe we'll swing back savory. Maybe we'll loop back to that children's book and see if we can't make Maddie into a series and give her some little sisters now that my oldest has a couple of little sisters. Um, Yeah. So, you know, right now just focused on promoting this title since it just released in August, really through the fall football and the holiday season. What a perfect time to, uh, you know, celebrate the, uh, the Buckeye in Ohio and beyond. Where can folks find your books? So all the usual suspects, our friends at Amazon, Target, and Barnes and Noble are gracious to carry the title. But you know, I do recommend people check out their independent bookstores as well. If they don't have the book, as long as you give them the title and the name of the author, they'll be able to request it. Um, and then a lot of the shops featured in the book are actually carrying the title as well. I love that option because you can get your book and your Buckeyes right there together. It's a great gift idea to pair the two. Obviously, if you're giving Buckeyes anyways, why not? add the book in this year for something a little bit different. And then you can find me on my website as well, which is just ReneeCastillocook.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this tasty material with us. Uh, We're really excited to learn about your books. And of course, always excited, at least from my selfish perspective, to celebrate everything that Ohio has to offer. 
Renee Castile-Cook, thank you so much for joining Eat Your Heartland Out. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. This episode was produced by me, Capri Cafaro. Our audio engineers are Liam Warner and Armin Spengen. Theme music by Jason Shaw. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.